moving, having a baby, decreasing income. Each of these life changes has a big impact on your personal finances. Now try doing all three of them at the same time. On today's episode, we're talking with Kaylee, who recently moved from a low cost of living area to expensive Alaska. Now she wants to set up her budget for success and save as much as she can before maternity leave begins. I'm your host, Carly Hill, and this is the Debt Free Mom Podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped people like me get smarter about things like saving on travel, spending less on airfare leaves more money for food and fun, putting away money for retirement, I hate to break it to you, but I don't plan on doing this podcast forever, and saving up an emergency fund, because life is like a movie, it loves a good plot twist. The good news is we can learn how to be prepared for those twists and turns. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Today, I'm talking with Kaylee as she explores what it will take to adjust the family's finances around an unpaid maternity leave that's about three months away. Kaylee is a military spouse and mom of one, soon to be two. Her husband's role in the Army recently moved their family to Alaska, and they have been adjusting to life away from extended family, as well as a much higher cost of living than they were previously used to. Kaylee completed a custom budget with me not too long ago, so part of our time together will be diving into what she learned about her finances and her options moving forward. Welcome, Kaylee. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, what listeners should know about you? I think you pretty much hit all the big points. I am a 20-something mom of almost two. I'm a military wife, and I'm just really excited to kind of fix this budget, get everything in line to make sure the second baby we can, we will be just fine. And you recently moved to a high cost of living area, right? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. The army PCS us to Alaska. So just the, we lived in a very low cost of living area and then we moved up here. So that the just shock of that has been uh, an adjustment as well. Yeah, I am sure, especially because it's not something people move to high cost of living areas all the time, but it's different in the military where it's like, you're just getting told that you're moving to a high cost of living area. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I have a fun question. I ask everybody to just break the ice and make talking about money a little easier. It's two parts and it can only apply to you and has to be spent on yourself. What would you do on yourself? What would you do to spend an extra $5? Always coffee. Always coffee. Hot or iced? <laughs> Hot. Hot. Okay. Because you're, I guess that's true. You're in a cold area. And then what would you do with an extra 5,000? Oh man, I would go home. I would fly home because the ticket prices from here to anywhere East Coast is crazy. Okay. So you're from the East Coast originally. You're about yes. as far opposite as you can get in yes. distance, aren't you? Wow. Okay. So airline ticket travel and a hot coffee. All right. So let's dive into a little bit about pre this pay period budget, pre custom budget. What have been some of your past budgeting attempts in the past and maybe why you left them behind? Like why you think they weren't working? So my husband and I got married pretty young. So we, at the beginning of our marriage through church did like the Dave Ramsey, like budgeting. And we were super intensely focused on that for a while. And then it just fizzled out as we just either our debt accumulated because it had to, something came up either. And then 
as we started to grow our family and it was just more so like what can we do to plug all the pieces in and make it work for now without having to stress about oh well I could be spending this money on paying down debt and all that stuff so and then I feel like I just rebound dieting with budgets just I'm like oh like let's try this and then it doesn't ever work because it's like oh well my account like my money says that I should have this large amount of money left over and it never works that way and you guys what pay schedule are you currently on like if your primary like you have two separate incomes but what are the pay schedules for each so he gets paid the first and the 15th and then I get paid every other Thursday okay and we're all the budgeting attempts that you can remember trying to build a monthly budget, collecting all of the income that you would get and making one plan. Okay. Okay. And so what I'm hearing you say is that maybe it looked good on paper as you built it. Like, okay, these are our actual numbers. Like this is realistic. And then as the month actually started, there was this mismatch between what your budget said you could do and what was actually happening. Is that fair? A hundred percent. So as we dive into some of this problem solving then, and also just the unique, um, perk that we have of having built that custom budget just last week. So the problem that we'll specifically dive into is really this short window of time, about three months prepping for an unpaid maternity leave, right? Yes. Okay. And about eight to 12 weeks is what you're planning on or hoping for. Yeah. So for listeners as a custom budget, what I did for Kaylee was last week, she sent a completed worksheet, which is called the finance snapshot, where she filled in their income, their expenses, both bills, and then also just spending like shopping and Christmas and all that stuff, as well as debts and then where their savings is at now versus where they would like it to be. And then what I did was take all that and plug it into the pay period budget template where we set it up according to pay period so that she could see it laid out, not set up in a monthly budget like we just talked about, but instead setting it up by pay period. So there's two different incomes that you have that were on different pay schedules. And so I can tell you, Kaylee, the two reasons that I chose your husband's pay schedule to be the one that I followed for the budget as opposed to yours. So number one, his is a little bit larger, not a ton, but a little bit larger. And then number two, because we were really focusing on this unpaid maternity leave, there was going to be a little bit of time where that's actually the only paycheck that you're getting. And so I wanted to go ahead and plan, build the dates around his schedule instead of yours. So that as yours temporarily drops off, you're still set up for that same schedule that you're getting. So even just, I would love to hear your first take on looking at it as I sent it to you last week. So what did you think, or what did you notice as you saw your actual real numbers, but just laid out in a different format? I actually really loved it because it was easier. It was like smaller chunks of time to digest than it was to like try and look at the entire month and figure out which paycheck like we were actually going to be able to get everything from. And I just really liked that you like highlighted exactly how much we needed to like put in our emergency fund and then like our big spending areas. And like, I love how everything just kind of break down a percentage of how much you're actually spending per each category. For your pay schedule, you have one of the more ideal ones of first and 15th, because what that means is that your bills are all, they're not going to hop around like people who have a biweekly or a weekly 
pay period there. It's not like all of these bills are always the first through the 14th. And these are always the 15th through the 30th. So it is a nice, even this is the first half of the month. And this is the second half of the month. And it does just, I think one of the big benefits is having a smaller chunk of time that we have to pay attention to the numbers, but also that we have to stick to a set of numbers. So we can, like, we're allowed to mess up and feel like, okay, we overspent or we didn't estimate groceries right, but, you know, the 15th is only three days away and then we get a clean slate and we just move forward. Because I think, I think anybody would say that any goal, even outside of money, if we think about any sort of goal we set for ourselves, 30 days is just a long time to commit to one thing. So one of the things we did in yours or that I suggested doing in yours was to reduce your restaurant spending, but to increase your grocery spending. So that's something I suggest a lot, but I'm kind of, I'm not super familiar with your situation or groceries or restaurants. How did it specifically on that suggested change? What did you think about that or how practical maybe could that be? So I think it's actually going to work out pretty well. Most of our restaurant spending is like, if my husband is gone or any of those things, like it's just easier to just go get something for me and my daughter than it is to make something at home. But I think if we like really sit down and we're like, oh, hey, so we really enjoy Sunday morning breakfast or Saturday morning breakfast as a family, like that's something that I can commit to weekly and not blow that like amount of money that we have and then just really being intentional about grocery shopping because I am 24 weeks pregnant going to the grocery store I'm always hungry so I feel like just doing more like grocery pickup for the stuff that we actually need not just meandering through the store just picking up everything that sounds good has actually worked out really well for us because we started doing that on the first as well and I noticed like a significant change in like excess spending as far as groceries go, because we're only getting what we need, not everything else. Yeah. Anything and everything that sounds good. So, so what we broke it down into was, or what I suggested was a hundred dollars a week, roughly for groceries. I mean, some of your pay periods are going to be a little bit longer than two weeks, but not by much. So suggested a hundred dollars a week for restaurants and which was a reduction of a hundred a week. And then also adding 30 a week to groceries. So hopefully um, rough numbers are that a dollar goes about three times farther in the grocery store than it does in a restaurant. So my hope was that by taking away a hundred dollars a week in restaurant and adding 30 a week in grocery that I was giving you roughly the same amount of food, that it would be like two fast food lunches or something out that we skip and that we add grocery money. I'm never suggesting that people eat less, just that they spend less on the same amount of food, right? Okay, so good. So that was one of the suggested changes. And let me see. So in the original budget, the total spent on or planned to spend on food across the six pay periods was $4,080. And then with those suggestions of reducing the restaurant, but increasing groceries ended up with $3,720. So it was a little over $300, $360 across those pay periods with hopefully the same amount of food. So that is a decent change, just giving a little bit of breathing room to your budget while still feeling like you're eating the same amount. Um, okay, let's talk about personal spending cash. That was something that I added into your budget. So in the original budget or in your finance snapshot, you had listed just like roughly $400 a month of just catch-all miscellaneous spending, right? 
the most random instant gratification purchases. And I just really needed a hard number for like, this is what we got. This is it. <laughs> so did that, as you filled out that worksheet, did it surprise you how much it was? No, it was a big shock. And so was like our restaurant and coffee, like how much we spent on like coffee and stuff. And I was like, this is such a large number. I never realized until I actually sat down and like plugged in every single number. I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. I th it's crazy because it's like, we feel like we know groceries, how much we're spending. Cause we only go like a couple times a month and it's this big amount, but I feel like, especially in things like personal and then yeah, coffee and restaurants where our total in one trip is like a couple dollars at a coffee shop or whatever. But then when we look at the whole sum together, we're like, oh, that's a little different than a couple dollars, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so what I suggested doing, and I'm interested to hear if this sounds like it would actually work in your real life. I put into the original budget about $200 per pay period of just miscellaneous, but then I completely deleted that and instead put it in personal spending. So originally it was about 400 a month in miscellaneous. And I also reduced it from 400 to 300 and split it evenly between you and your husband. So some couples have one person that needs a lot of personal spending and one that doesn't. So not always does it have to be the same split, but I'm curious if that looks like something that would work for you guys. Yes, I think I'm definitely one of those people who like need the hard limits, need the exact amount. And then my husband is like, not, <laughs> he, like he does not ever spend hardly anything. So it's one of those, I am very much like super instant gratification spender. And he is just not that way. <laughs> He's definitely more of our numbers person. So I, I need the hard limits. He does not, but I think that amount is going to work perfect because even if I don't spend that much, I'm like, oh, I can just move it to savings or like to the next one, like save it for something that's maybe a bit bigger or any of those things. And I think when we take the same amount, so it was like about a hundred dollars less where it was originally, it was 400 and miscellaneous and now it's 300. But when we take that amount and actually apply our own name to it, it gives like this big sense of freedom of you can stick to the rest of the budget because you have $150 with your name on it that you don't have to answer to anybody why you used it that way. My husband is a big I think similar to yours of sometimes he would be like, I don't even know what I would spend $150 on. So then he just socks it away. And then six months from now, there'll be one really big thing that he wants to buy or whatever. And mine is always gone within like a week or two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's nice to each have that where it's like, I don't have to get frustrated at him for buying this big thing six months from now, because it was all just a collection of his personal spending money. And he doesn't have to get frustrated at me being like, why are you constantly getting coffee out? Because it's just, again, my personal spending money. And I do also, I often use it as this extra layer on top of like the restaurant and the coffee. So like first in the pay period, when we eat out or when we get coffee, I take it from those categories based on what I planned. But then I tell myself, okay, if you want to get even more than that, then it comes out of your personal spending. Right. Yes. Okay. So good. Hopefully that part is like a really helpful way to stick to the rest of the budget because you don't feel like the intention is never to take away your permission to spend. It's actually to give you permission to spend. So hopefully that amount and that frequency of once a month kind of getting that spending money will feel like, okay, like I do still get to do the things I want and can make sure that my, our family priorities are still represented in the budget. Absolutely. 
So let's then dive into the the specifics around planning for a maternity leave. So a lot of times it's just, oh, somebody wants more money in their emergency fund. And so we're just going to put the amount that we can away. And yours is similar to that, but with a really hard deadline, right? A, a date that we're like, okay, this is when we need this goal by. So I remember when I filled it out that we, that I basically, once I made those couple of changes to the spending, then I was just taking, okay, however many dollars are there left and whatever is left, let's just start to put it into savings for that maternity leave. Is there a number in mind where you were like, this is the amount that we need to have in advance? There should be, but not quite. I think really the only thing that I'm worried about is just the things that we cover mostly with my money on like an infrequent schedule. So like the groceries, things like that, those typically before we're coming out of my paycheck and then things like childcare, I want to make sure for sure childcare is almost impossible to get up here if you don't already have a spot so that we pay like 660 a month for childcare, which is actually pretty good here. So that amount for the time that I take maternity leave, we absolutely have to be able to cover. So it's not necessarily like we need to fully replace your paychecks, right? It's like, these are just the couple of things that we need to make sure we have the extra above your husband's income to pay for those yes. things, right? Okay. Uh, yes. So that would be, like you said, 660 a month in childcare. And like, realistically, gas would probably temporarily go down because you're not going to drive at least in the short term, in the first couple of weeks or whatever. I know with my budget, as I projected forward, looking at when I was due with all my babies, I drastically dropped the grocery budget down and drastically raised the restaurant budget just around the little window of time, like the two weeks leading up to due date. And then like the two to four weeks right after where it was just like, I, it's not even worth me budgeting groceries because I'm not going to be standing in the kitchen. <laughs> okay. right. So it'd be like, we're going to get the milk and the bread and the cereal and stuff. And then dinners are probably going to be, if a friend wants to bring us dinner, that'd be great. Otherwise it's ordering pizza and that kind of stuff. So this you're due at the beginning of March. Is that right? End of March. End of March. So you'll have even one to two pay periods after the six that we set up before baby actually comes, which is great. So as you would look forward past these six, I would probably go ahead and do that. And just one of the questions we always want to ask ourselves is, am I being realistic with these numbers that I'm setting up? So don't, don't be idealistic. Like, oh, I'm going to cook dinner five days a week, all the way until when baby comes, go ahead and just shift. Groceries probably isn't going to happen very much. Restaurants is going to happen more. Gas can go down. Just go ahead and make those adjustments so that then when the time comes and you inevitably do spend in those ways, then you're not feeling like you're breaking the budget. You're feeling like you're following the budget, right? Okay. So as we look at the, the maternity leave specifically, there was about just shy of a thousand dollars that we would be able to add to your savings between now and the end of February. And then probably a couple hundred more again in March before you would actually go on maternity leave. So I'm curious if, does that sound too small? Does that sound like that's going to not even be an amount that you can save between now and then? How realistic do those numbers feel specifically? It feels pretty realistic. It's just going to be one of those I'm hoping to save maybe a little bit more just because we do have some already in savings like for an emergency fund. So I'm hoping to just cushion as much as possible. So I think that's a super great start. And then whatever extra is just like a bonus. 
And so put another way, as we look at that 950, that's like a month and a half of childcare, if we think about it that way. So if you're due at the end of March, that's like covering all of April's and half of May's, which would be about six weeks of it. So that is a, actually a great start because that gets you most of the way to when you would go back. Another thing that I highlighted is I, when I do custom budgets, I call them red flags where I notice that something is high, but I don't really have the freedom to just go ahead and be like, oh, drop this number down. I like to highlight those because from all the budgets that I've looked at, it's higher than average, but higher than average might just be normal for where you are. So those, the two were internet and cell phone. Yeah. So, um, we have the, yes, the only internet provider up here in central Alaska. And then we really like them because we have an Alaska airlines, like not their credit card, but like their membership, like mileage plan. And because we pay our bill, they give us points for airlines. So I really enjoy that part, like aspect of that. And then as far as our cell phones go, we both still owe on our cell phones. So my husband has like the first responder type plan. And then I just have like the basic like cell phone. I, we both have Apple watches. And so it's just regionally it's higher up here because the, everything is just more for further apart up here. Yep. yep. And so that's actually good to know then that as you would pay off the devices, there is potential of over time for each of yours to drop when that device payment goes off. That's usually like 30, 40 a month or something. If you're not paid once a month, why are you budgeting that way? A monthly budget ignores the fact that sometimes your expenses are due before the next paycheck is available. A pay period budget is built around your unique pay schedules so that your money doesn't feel like a mess. Create an accurate, realistic plan for getting the most out of each paycheck. Get started budgeting by pay period today with the best-selling budget template and mini course from me, Debt Free Mom. It's available for just $9 at debtfreemom.co slash template. I think I put in my message to you, even as we're getting ready for a baby to come, it's never a time in our life where we like meet these massive financial goals is just keep the status quo, get through everything, eat the food you need to eat, whatever. And I even put in there, I think, and I, I hope you take that to heart. It is whatever combination of problem solving that you guys need to come up with to just get through that is totally fine. And maybe you need a non-Dave Ramsey permission to be like, if some of it goes on a credit card and then you pay it off later, that is totally fine. Like that not, it's just not something to get so worked up in that we're paralyzed by doing anything else. You could in increase income a little bit between now and then you could decrease expenses a little bit, and then you could basically just put the difference in debt and then take care of it once the baby's bigger, because it's just not a time that we, that any of us make massive financial strides. Okay. So then let's fast forward to let's say, okay, you're due end of March, let's say like July, where we're back to life has resumed with work. Is childcare going to double for two? So we actually have a friend who's offered to watch our newest until we get a spot at the same center that my oldest one is at. So it may not be quite double. We are definitely going to pay her for her time, but she is willing to do it at a much lower rate than like the center is. So maybe not double, but then we're also just, there's family that haven't even met my oldest one yet. So we're definitely trying to look at long-term, like setting up sinking funds to be able to travel to visit all the family that hasn't met even our oldest yet. 
So at this point, it looks like on average, there's currently an extra 160 a pay period with the way that we set it up. So that's the base number that we would go off of to then say, okay, if we wanted more extra than that a month, that would basically mean either a little bit more in income or a little bit less in expenses over and above what is what we currently wrote down. And so I do think it would be a really great goal for you guys after, again, we're talking like July, after every after the transition of everything, to look at paying down at least one or two of your debts, not just because we want to pay off debt, but also because when, as we free up those minimum payments, you'll really expand your cash flow. Basically, it'll feel like you got a raise because you have this big bill that you're no longer paying. So for listeners, there's two credit cards and two vehicles basically. And so I think the smallest credit card would be the one I would really focus on first because it's substantially smaller than all the other ones. So you'll get to pay it off fast and basically give yourself $150 a month raise when that's gone and eliminate that minimum payment. And so I think long-term going forward, this kind of combination of there's things we want to save up for, but then there's also debts that if we pay them off, we can actually save up for the other stuff faster than if we didn't. And so I think, especially with the two credit cards, that the combination of those two is $460 a month. And so about triple per month extra what you currently have, which would mean that airline tickets would take a couple of months to save up instead of most of a year or whatever. Um, so is that in terms of order of goals, what you guys were thinking long-term of wanting to tackle the debts faster than minimum? Yes. So my credit card is the super small amount. That 150 isn't our minimum payment. It was the one where I was like, I'm comfortable paying that much month because my minimum payment, I think is like maybe half of that. So I was like, I need that because I hate looking at that number. And I'm like, it needs to go down quickly. And then we've just been trying to get everything else paid down. But that it was one of those, like, how do I stay motivated when the numbers are large and like a little bit overwhelming to get them lower, more manageable Yeah. And at that lower minimum payment, your balance itself was probably barely going down with interest the way it was. So what I think you could do is once you're back to work and you feel like there's still at least a couple thousand in your emergency fund, I wouldn't drain your emergency fund and then try to focus on debt with a very, very small emergency fund. I would first two to 3,000 probably would want to have set aside. But once you would do that, I would then take all these transfers to savings that we're currently planning because of maternity leave and not try to spread yourself too thin doing multiple things at the same time. Like once that emergency fund has two or 3,000, pause doing that and focus, take all that focused money towards those debts. And that 2,900 won't take too terribly long to pay off if we do that. Because if you're currently, if you're already used to paying 150 a month, and then we also have another 400 or so a month, that'll just honestly take a couple months to be all the way gone, which would be great. And you could even, instead of doing like a debt snowball kind of thing where you're like, okay, this 150 that was going to this credit card, now we're going to put it towards the next debt. You could set up a travel sinking fund and start doing 150 a month into that after that first 
credit card was paid off, just start doing a transfer of 150 to a travel sinking fund and your budget would, it would be the exact same numbers. It would just be that it's going towards something that you're excited about instead of a credit card. So as we're talking about debt, so our truck we've had for a couple years now, and we were looking at like the advantages and disadvantages of refinancing that auto loan. Okay. So there's a few things to ask yourself as you're looking at that, because I obviously what we first want to look at is lowering an interest rate. And if I remember right, I think your interest rate was a little high for a vehicle. Yeah. 12%, 12% is pretty high for a vehicle loan. So something more like what you have on the expedition, like the 6.7, I mean, cutting an interest rate in half can have massive impacts on the minimum payment. So that would be a really good way to add your breathing room. A couple things to ask above what's the interest rate would be closing costs because there are there is a cost to refinancing whoever the lender even if you're staying with the same lender they're going to charge you an amount to process a refinancing and then also do you know like how how much length of time is left on the loan currently yeah i want to say like 3 years So sometimes when we say we run a refinance to a lender, the only thing they'll have in mind is that you want a lower monthly payment. So they'll not only suggest a lower interest rate if they can offer it, but they'll also suggest a longer timeframe because when we extend the length of the loan, we decrease how much we have to pay on each month. But that often adds up into a lot more interest going to them because the timeframe is so long. So ideally, we would want to find a loan length that is either the same as what you currently have left or even shorter, plus the decreased interest, because then that would mean that you're not you know, saving a little bit of money today, but adding more payments on the back end where instead of being done three years from now, you have an extra year or something. So those are the big things I can think of is how much do I have to pay in order to refinance? How much is my interest going to go down? And then is the length of the loan at least the same that I have left ideally shorter? Um, And if all those are true, then a lower interest rate could really, really drop that 565 a month. And what you can do when you ask about how much is it going to cost to refinance, what we want to factor that into how much we're saving to know how much of a good deal. So it's called the time to recoup your cost. So for example, if they're going to charge you $500, a one-time $500 fee to refinance, but it's going to drop your payment by $100 a month, then that means that the first five months of savings are basically just going to recoup your $500 fee. But then after that, starting in the sixth month, then you truly are saving money. Every time you have $100 less per month, it is actually less out of pocket. So that's something that we want to look at just to make sure that if it's like, oh, it's so expensive to refinance that it would take over a year to recoup the cost. Will we even have the truck by then? Or will we have already been able to pay it off by then? Those kind of questions. But as long as it's a relatively short amount of time, then you know that, okay, we have to pay this fee. It'll take a couple of months to recover that fee. So for example, if you take that 500 out of savings to pay the refinance cost, then for those first five months, you'll want to add a hundred back into your savings. But from there, I mean, I really do looking at a 12% interest on a vehicle. I really do think you, you have a lot of wiggle room to potentially 
drop that rate pretty far down and give yourself just a nice extra wiggle room in your budget, especially heading into maternity leave. I think if you could get that done between now and March, then that would just make you feel more relaxed about it because you know that your required monthly expenses are even smaller, which means that you just don't need as much saved up in order to cover everything. So yeah, I would shoot for like under, I mean, interest rates are popping all over the place. So throwing out a number sounds hard, but definitely single digits. You would definitely at least want something that is under 10. Credit unions are great to look at. They generally have lower interest rates and they gen like it's, it is a moneymaker for them to refinance car loans. So like if you go on a local credit union's website, it's probably going to be really easy to find the refinance your car loan because it's something, it's like something they really want people to do. And they generally do really have some of the best rates. So that'd be a good starting point to look at. Let's close out the maternity leave part as we laid out in your budget, a few different ways to drop spending. Do you feel, do you have this like motivation where we want to drop it even further than what you did? Or did that feel more like a relaxed amount that would be good for you? It's definitely like a good starting point. And I think going forward, it will help me to be like, no, like I can make coffee before I leave in the morning, just to like lower that amount. I don't need to eat lunch out. Like I can go home for lunch. I work six minutes from my house. Like, so I think it's a good, it was a super good starting point. And it just, yeah, like gave us the motivation to be like, can we get that number lower? Like I also purchased Feed the Family. So I'm really excited to dive into that and see how we can get that number lower. Yeah, and hopefully find ways to lower the spending without adding stress, right? I think when we when it's a hypothetical of just like, okay, we should spend less on restaurants and more at the grocery store or whatever. A lot of times the only thing that comes to our mind is the extra work that we're going to have to do, the shopping and the meal planning and the cooking. So hopefully as as you just put a little bit of effort at, just on the front end, then you'll be able to find some some easy go-to dinners or some things that you can whip up together without having to add extra time and effort to your plate that still result in a dollar savings. I always am curious when I send this to people, depending on what the numbers that I use, like the hypothetical numbers, some people are like, oh, I could never cut it that low. But then some people are at a point that I think a little bit you guys are at of just like, no, we're really motivated to make X, Y, and Z happen. And so we want to reduce it even further or whatever. So one thing that I kind of describe to people when they're wanting to lower some of those bigger areas is to stair step your way down to where you'd like to be. So using these starting numbers as like, okay, for the first two pay periods, I'm just going to stick to these numbers, these suggested numbers. And then January 1, which is when everybody's wanting to do those goals and New Year's resolutions and stuff, maybe then you can be like, okay, even if out of the whole month, even if we just take one week where we say we're not eating out at all just this week and the next week we'll go back to eating out, that would be an extra $100 above what, what we have here. So maybe you do some kind of pantry challenge or something in January where you're like, okay, we're going to leave all these 200s the same in all of the other pay periods, but just in one of the pay periods, instead of planning for 200 to restaurants, we're going to plan for 100 and do a no restaurant week and then put that extra hundred into savings or something. And sometimes when we do those things just once or twice, then we're like, oh, 
that wasn't the problem that I made it up to be where we're like, oh my gosh, eating out for skipping eating out would be so hard for one week. But then once we actually do it and we're on the other side of it, we're like, okay, everybody survived. We ate good food. Like we can make it. And then that'll snowball your motivation to like, oh, it wasn't as hard as I thought. So we can do that one more time in February or something. And just those two things would be 200 extra to savings above what we have planned now. So I think I, I sense that you guys have good motivation for finding little things here and there. And as you, hopefully the budget, the way it's laid out will also make it a little more clear in a good way that you're like, oh, those little things really do have a big impact on the big picture that it's not just nothing. If I make a little bit of $20 in savings in this category and $10 in this category, added up pay period after pay period actually does add up to a couple hundred dollars pretty quickly. So then you don't have to feel like you're completely deleting every possible fun category, but that you are starting to see progress and goals. I am very much like small goal oriented, whereas my husband can look at the bigger picture and like break it down himself. I cannot do that. I have to have very small obtainable chunks to like get us to. And I think that's super motivating. And it's, I think that number is obtainable, especially because we moved a year ago and I still have stuff in boxes that I plan on just selling and getting rid of and all of that stuff, like all of that extra funds are just like for our maternity fund. So that's what we've been doing to make even more of a buffer to just get rid of the stuff that we haven't even seen in a year. Yeah. That mentality of if it's still in a box by now, we probably don't need it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, I think that would be something moving forward. I'm a super visual person and I need the small milestones along the way to keep me motivated. So I think anything that you can do to make that visual and remind yourself, I think the kitchen is a great place for it. Cause often that's when we're making those decisions about, am I eating out tonight or am I eating at home? And so seeing that and having that $500 a month goal would be an excellent way to all of a sudden get to, I think between now and March is just going to fly. And then you'll be like, oh, we did it. Like we had that wiggle room when we just took a little bit of extra effort towards it. Another thing that would potentially have room for extra savings is that I did give you about $120 of a budget buffer on every pay period. So I left about $120 per pay period that I didn't assign to anything just so that it could be that buffer that absorbs any little thing. But that would be another little game that you could play with yourself basically of anything that's left at the end of the pay period gets to go into our maternity fund. So I'm going to monitor that budget buffer. And even if it's an extra $17 on December 14th, I'm going to go ahead and transfer $17 in there. And that, that will also add up, I think in a really good way. And then don't forget to reward yourself as well. So, you know, when we have those, that visual or those small broken down goals of 500 a month, like come up with something fun that you guys like to do or that you like to eat, like a drink that's extra special, or maybe you always get the smaller size coffee. And when you hit that goal of 500 a month, you're going to get the really big coffee or whatever it is. I think those little rewards can really like, even if they're an extra $2, it can be exactly the boost that we need to keep going with it. So we got paid on the first so we've already done our grocery shopping for just the stuff that we needed and then I really love how there's like the categories at the bottom to kind of like fill that in so I am hoping that that makes it just super easy for me but I also don't ever keep receipts for anything 
So I started doing that. That way it's right in front of me. It's easy to plug in and then I get rid of them once they're plugged in. So that's been super helpful so far. But if you have any tips on to make it Yeah, I can give a, a little like rundown of using it first. Do you have the Google Sheets app on your phone? I do. Because that's something that I found basically makes it feel like a budget app where it's like, okay, I can just open my phone wherever I am and enter numbers. So that's always something I recommend is that maybe the computer view of a spreadsheet is nice for the big picture planning stuff. But in terms of actually like making sure I'm following it, 99.9% of that I do on my phone, just on the go. So that's something I recommend. Another one is as you do those trackers at the bottom, once you get to the end. So if you, if you grocery shop every weekend, for example, and you know that now like you've done all your weekend shopping for the pay period, the easiest way to reconcile that or like mark it as paid in the budget itself. Like the main part of the budget at the top is let's say your grocery budget, it's 360 for that pay period. And you end up spending like 352 or something. You can go back up to the main part of the pay period budget where it says 360 and change it to 352, like change it to whatever you actually did spend. And then the two ways that I recommend either marking it as paid are either using the little paint bucket to fill it in a solid color so that you're, you tell yourself like, okay, anything that's filled in means that I'm done. I'm I've paid that or the strike through, which is just the S with the line. And that will draw a line through the numbers. Either one of those two ways to just have an easy way that anytime we can decrease the number of things that we have to remember is always going to be a good yes. thing. So marking it as paid with color or with a line so that the next time you open your budget, you already know like, oh, I already saw that the cell phone came out on the four, on the first. So I can go ahead and mark that as paid and I don't have to pay attention to that anymore because it was the amount that I thought it would be. Everything is good there. As far as tracking bills like that, like cell phone and stuff, I try to make a rhythm of getting into the budget and looking at both my bank app and my budget once every two to three days or so. And all I do is I usually do it on my phone and swipe between the two apps and I'll see, okay, there's a, there were a couple charges in my checking account or on my credit card. So I'm going to go over to my budget and make sure that I have those written down. And so as we're doing that, there's, there's two different things that we're doing. One, we're just marking things as paid that were already planned. So like a cell phone bill is a great example of that. Like it's almost always the exact same amount. And all we have to do is see that it was paid and mark it as paid in the budget. And then the second kind of tracking is that spending tracking that is the harder one or the more tedious one because it's lots of little transactions or it's something that we weren't planning to do at all. So, you know, maybe you have somebody gets sick and you have a $10 copay or something, something like that. Then we have to go in and actually add a number to our budget that wasn't originally there. And that's the harder part because depending on how big it is, then there's going to be some rearranging that has to go on. I do always find that the quicker we can put that in, the easier it is to solve the problem because we've already spent it. So that's a foregone conclusion, right? So trying to not put it in there isn't going to work, but putting it in as early as we can so that we can then say, can the budget buffer just absorb that little amount that we didn't plan for? Or do I need to make some shifts in things compared to what I thought I would be able to do? So that's the two parts of budget tracking of making sure that what I plan to happen actually has happened. And then for the stuff that I didn't plan to happen, 
but that has happened, what am I going to do about it? And I think that's the important, that part is the important part to have a little bit of just persistence and resilience and to tell yourself that every single pay period is always going to have stuff that you didn't plan for, but that you do spend. I think a lot of times people get caught up in when I spend something that wasn't originally in the budget, I've broken the budget or I've wrecked the budget. And if if that's the case, then we're all out here wrecking all of our budgets all the time, right? Because we're never able to perfectly plan for every little thing. So as we build a little bit of persistence that, okay, every time something like that pops up, I'm just going to open my budget, put that number in whatever it was, wherever it goes. And then when I see how it impacts everything else, I can make decisions about what I need to do. Sometimes it can just get absorbed by your buffer and you don't need to adjust anything else. And sometimes you do. And so then we look at, okay, maybe I need to put a little bit less into the emergency fund than I thought. Or if I don't want to do that, because I'm really motivated to save that up, maybe I'm going to skip one or two things in a different category instead. And as we do that, it takes work, I think at the beginning, but the more that we do that, the more you'll find what your good go-tos are where you're like, oh yeah, every time that pops up, here's what I tend to adjust out of, or here's the category I tend to pull from. And it'll take you less and less time each time because you just become used to it. Yeah, I do. I really do appreciate like the buffer because yeah, there are the just random things that come up and you're like, where did these even come from? Like I was not expecting that. So yeah, I've always done like the zero based budgeting, which every dollar has to be allocated, but I kind of like that there is a buffer because in other category just means that I can spend it on whatever instead of there being like, oh, hey, just in case like something comes up, that's what that's in there for. I think when I started doing that for myself, I think it was because I kept finding myself feeling bad or feeling guilty about expenses that were like nothing to feel guilty about. So it'd be like something broke and I needed to go replace it. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, it's like wrecking everything. And my budget was so perfect. And now we need light bulbs. And so now it's all ruined. And so I think I like finally told myself like, okay, that is just part of life. There's no reason to get worked up about something that small. And so the answer to me was, if you basically assume, I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know that something is going to happen, right? And so then we just give ourselves a little bit of room to cover that copay or buy those light bulbs or get an extra cup of coffee. And it's just absorbed out of the buffer and we move on with our day. Yes. I just want to say thank you for coming on and doing this with me. I know it's intimidating or difficult to maybe get on with a stranger and talk about your finances, but I really appreciate it. And I think that so many people will relate to where you are at. I mean, I have tons of moms and new families and stuff that are listening that will definitely hear their own story in your story of something like maternity leave coming up imminently. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the custom budget and all of the answered questions. And I'm super excited to deep dive into all of the rest of PBA. I'm cheering for you, Kaylee. I can hear how motivated she is by what these changes could mean for her family and her finances. I know that she'll be able to take that maternity leave with security in her finances and fully focus on enjoying that new baby. If you're like Kaylee and trying to plan for a change in your income, a maternity leave, a new job, a big move, here are some things to keep in mind. Number one, know your real numbers. Getting a clear, realistic picture of what you're actually spending is essential for any budget, especially if your income is about to change. Number two, 
If you have debt, free up as much cash flow as you can by paying off balances quickly. You can also look into refinancing larger debts like Kaylee's car loan and try to get the monthly payment to be smaller without adding more interest paid over the long term. Number three, remember that a transition always brings the unexpected with it. Build in a buffer to your budget and to your bank account for those little things that just seem to pop up because they always will. And finally, give yourself permission to spend that buffer when you need to. If you're looking for some additional help navigating a big change like this, I've got a few products that will help. Purchasing a custom budget just like Kaylee did provides you with a one-time service for building your pay period budget. We can gather all of your real numbers, your frustrations and goals into a plan for your next six pay periods. You can also learn the principles of confident budgeting by becoming a member of Pay Period Budget Academy. Just go to debtfreemom.co to join today. Thanks for listening to the Debt Free Mom podcast. If you want to join me as a guest on the show, go to dfmpodcast.com. The Debt Free Mom podcast is hosted by me, Carly Hill, and is produced, edited, and mixed by Kyle Hill. Music for this episode was written by Kyle Hill. Hit subscribe wherever you're listening to join in with every new episode as we grow our confidence and contentment in our personal finances. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.